right. Welcome to our Harvest Men's Valor podcast. My name is Mike Jonker. I'm the campus pastor here at Harvest Orange County, where Greg Laurie is our senior pastor and teaching pastor. Pastor Greg is beginning a new series in the book of Joshua on Sunday. So join us here at Harvest Riverside or in Orange County and Maui, or go to harvest.church and watch it online. We are also kicking off a new season of Harvest Groups, which meet churchwide, some at one of our campuses, some in homes, and others are meeting at places in the community. So check out that and be a part of Harvest Groups. We're glad you're joining with us on our first podcast of our 23-24 season, and we're going to do something real exciting this year with our podcast. Our content, our Bible studies, are going to begin with us diving into the three books of the Bible that we really don't study that often. They're found in the Old Testament, and they're part of what we call the minor prophets. That doesn't mean that they're under 18, and it doesn't mean that they're less important. What it means is they're not big-name prophets like Isaiah or Ezekiel. They are lesser-known and their prophecies are not real long like the books of Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah. But they are prophets of God Almighty, and um, they had been called to speak truth and warning and counsel to God's people. And their messages from God were not flowery platitudes, but factual warnings and encouragement to God's people about living lives of faith and obedience to God. These Old Testament books... Habakkuk, Haggai, and Zephaniah are all powerful words to the people of God in that day, but also for us today. In fact, it's alarming how much of these prophecies, although partially fulfilled in those days, are relevant and relatable for us today, not only as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, but for our nation. And I believe God is going to warn us and encourage us through these words in these books. Now, our first book that we're going to be studying is the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a God follower. He was probably from the tribe of Levi because in the end of the book, he writes about leading worship, and that's what Levites did. He's kind of the the Hans eyes of that day. He was leading worship. He had a real heart for God and a real heart for the people of God. But Habakkuk was a patriot, too. He loved his nation. He loved the nation of Judah and the people of of Israel, yet there was trouble brewing. In these three chapters of Habakkuk, we're going to see that God is sovereign, God rules, God steers, God guides, not only personally, but globally. God will rule and reign. We also are going to see that Habakkuk wrestled with God because he he doesn't understand what God is doing. We're going to see a brokenhearted Habakkuk ask God things like, why and how long? things I think we can all relate to. We're also going to see God bring Habakkuk, this prophet, this believer, this man of faith, to a deeper faith, a deeper place of faith and worship, as God promises to do a work that will astound him beyond his wildest dreams. As we remember Israel, God's chosen people, had come out of Egypt, uh, 400 years of slavery. You know, Disney made an animated movie called The Prince of Egypt, and a long time ago, Cecil DeMille made a movie with Charlton Heston called The Ten Commandments, it was epic, both good and entertaining, but not totally accurate. So, you know, we got to read the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. But the Israelites went the long way from being delivered from slavery and wandering through the wilderness into the promised land that God had given them. 
And they were led to the promised land by Moses and into the promised land by Joshua. And I'm excited that Pastor Greg is going to be teaching each Sunday out of the book of Joshua. So uh, be sure and join us here at church. Well, God delivered them and then he led them and he brought them in. You know, Israel, they're God's chosen people. And for us as Christians, the promised land is a picture uh, of the life of a Christian. The people had to live by faith in God, just like we do. They were God's covenant people, and they were then and they are now. And you know, we are God's sons and daughters by faith in Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But there are distinctions between the nation of Israel, who are God's chosen people, and the church, we believers who are living today. There are some distinct blessings, and uh, there are some shared blessings as well as we study Scripture. God has done a unique work in the children of Israel. You know, he delivered them, 400 years of slavery. He brought them into the land of promise, and then he established a kingdom uh, of them with, of course, starting with King Saul, and then, of course, King David, and then his son Solomon. But as time went on, the 12 original tribes of Israel that made up the one kingdom, they had a falling out. They split. Go figure that. Ten tribes went one way, and they chose their king, and two tribes went the other way, and they chose their king. And they were called the Northern and Southern Kingdom. Now, the Northern Kingdom was Israel, the ten tribes. The Southern Kingdom was Judah, was made up of Judah and Benjamin. Kind of like California, our northern cities are largely run by liberal leaders. You know, Sacramento, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, those things. And the south is a little more conservative, but sadly seems to be slipping. But the northern kingdom and their lineage of kings did not walk with God. They didn't follow the word of God and God. And they had abandoned the covenant and even began to worship false God. And God allowed them to be conquered in a battle by the Assyrian nation, who was the world power at the time. Remember Nineveh? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria had conquered Israel, or the northern kingdom. And really, the northern kingdom had all but disappeared at this time. They had been conquered and assimilated into the Assyrian culture. The southern kingdom, Judah, did have some God-fearing kings, but it also had some godless kings. There were some years of revival and blessing with King Hezekiah and King Josiah, but they were up and down as a nation in their walk in obedience to God, largely influenced by who was the king at the time. And Judah had come off having a few bad kings, and God had had enough, and began to warn the people through his spokesmen, the prophets, prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Habakkuk and others. God's warning in Habakkuk was that of judgment, that judgment was coming. It had got past that single warning of just turn back or just repent. But this prophecy was a prophecy of judgment. We can't help but think of our own country. Built on Judeo-Christian faith and foundation. Built on the morals and ethics found in the Bible, the Ten Commandments but even more so built on faith in Jesus Christ who came to save 
us from our sins and from death. As a nation, our institutions and our government and culture are more and more rejecting God and his moral foundation for our nation. And like the Old Testament passage we'll be studying of Israel and Judah, the law became paralyzed in a permissive society. We look around and we see our culture has redefined sin. Today, a drunkard is an alcoholic. A thief is a victim of circumstance. A murderer is a victim of his upbringing. Adultery is having an affair. Sodomy is a protected class and gender choice for children is considered a choice and a right. It's sad. It's horrible. But listen, there's still hope. And there are amazing things happening even now. And people are being saved. I don't think God has judged us yet. I think he's continuing to shower mercy and grace and blessing on us. But how long will it last as we see this paradigm shift continuing? I don't give up hope for our nation and culture because I see God working. Do you? You see people getting saved. You see families coming to Christ. But I want to ask you something before we read. I want to ask you, how do you respond to warnings? You know, the warnings of don't enter or don't touch. You know, the warnings that we see. You know, in history, there are some pretty major warnings that were ignored. You know, the Titanic was warned. There was actually a ship that had told them that there were icebergs out front, and they ignored the warning. Pearl Harbor, they had seen something on the radars, but they ignored them. 9-11, there were warnings as well. And of course, because of ignoring those warnings, we saw the travesty in each of those situations. But God gives warnings in our lives. In this book of Habakkuk, these are real-time warnings for the people around 600 BC when God gave his word to Habakkuk. But not all of Habakkuk was for then only. Some of Habakkuk hasn't been fully fulfilled, and we can learn from it today. We are being warned today through this prophecy, through the book of Habakkuk. The question is, will we listen? Let's start in verse 1 of Habakkuk. It reads, Habakkuk crying out to the Lord, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgments proceed. Habakkuk here is looking at his own country, his own culture. He sees the violence, people actually physically assaulting others regularly. He sees the plundering, people being taken advantage of economically and socially. He sees the strife, the inability to work together, the hostile environment around him. He says the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. The nation of Judah under the leadership of King Jehoiakim had moved away from faith in God and the laws of God, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, the civil laws found in Levitical law and in the Torah. Habakkuk was burdened by it all. Lord, how long will this go on? Maybe he was even thinking, we need to return to the old ways. We need new leadership. We need more cooperation. We need unity. We need revival. Man, boy, does that sound familiar. How long, O Lord, is what Habakkuk said. And God responds to Habakkuk's prayer. 
in verse 5, he says, Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from them. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride the stronghold and they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind chases, and he transgresses, and he commits offense, ascribing his power to his God. God tells Habakkuk that he's going to do a great work. He's going to raise up another nation, a nation called Babylon, to come and be God's hand of judgment upon a defiant and disobedient Judah. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 21 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as rivers of water, he turns it wherever he will. Babylon had become the world power. They had defeated Assyria, who had conquered the nation of Israel. They had defeated the nation of Egypt under Pharaoh Necho in B.C. 605 at the famous Battle of Karamesh. Interesting that the previous king of Judah... The last king of Davidic line, Josiah, was mortally wounded in battle fighting the Babylonian enemies of Assyria and Egypt. Babylon was an iron-fisted ruler under their king, Nebuchadnezzar. You can read more about Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. But Habakkuk was grieved that God would use a pagan nation like Babylon to judge his own people, the nation of Israel or Judah. It says that Babylon was a bitter and hasty nation. They were terrible and dreadful. Their horses were swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Chargers charge ahead. The cavalry comes from afar like an eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. You know, Babylon, they dominated and they destroyed. And they were going to come and dominate and destroy Judah. And Habakkuk didn't understand why God would allow it. So he asked God a question. In verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea? like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net. They burn incense to their dragnet because of them their share is sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Shall they empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? They are so bad, God, is what Habakkuk's saying. They're so bad. Why? You know, we all come to circumstances that happen in our lives or that happen to people we love, and we want to ask God why. We see things in our nation, and we say, 
Why, Lord? How long? And God's reply to us is the same as it is to Habakkuk. For I will work a work in your days, which you will not believe, though it were told you. There are things that God has done in my life and in your life that are very hard, sometimes heartbreaking, and it causes us to cry out to God, why, Lord, or how long, O Lord? And when God doesn't answer us the way we hope, we can know that God is still loving, that God is still sovereign, and that God is still working. Many times, Pastor Greg has said, never trade what we don't know for what we do know. You know, in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you are a child of God, a believer in Jesus, you can know that God is working in spite of the storms. We don't have to lose hope, even if the storm is great. Pastor Greg has talked about protecting storms, perfecting storms, and correcting storms in our lives. God wants to use these to deepen our faith in Him. Yes, God is sovereign. God does care. God does love you. He's still working. You know, probably the greatest storm of all time, well, the greatest storm of all time, is the storm that took place on a hill called Calvary. Jesus, our perfect, loving friend and Savior, took on all of our sin, all of our defiance, all of our disobedience, and died for us. He demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Isn't that amazing? We have been made alive together with Jesus. Alive. And today, you can receive forgiveness of sin. Maybe you haven't believed in him. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've been defiant with God. But you know what? He loves you. Maybe something is happening in your life right now that you're just saying, why God or how long, oh Lord? Know that God understands what you're going through. He understands the storm because he took the storm of our sin and of our defiance upon himself so that we can have a relationship with him. Listen, maybe today you're ready to come to faith. Maybe you recognize that, man, I don't know what's going on, but I need to come to God. And I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to say this prayer with me. You can just repeat it after me right now. Let's pray. God, I don't understand all these things going on in my life, but I want to believe in you now. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. And I ask that you would give me new life in you. Help me to grow in my faith. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer, first of all, congratulations. 
let us know. We want to give you a new Believer's Bible that will help you go forward in your relationship with Christ. It has some of Pastor Greg's notes in it. But maybe you've recommitted your life to Christ. You know, we can trust God in our lives, men. We can trust Him. We can trust Him in our nation. But we need to lead the way in loving and learning and leading people to Jesus, the King of Kings. I just pray that as we go out this week, that we would really recommit our lives to Christ, no matter what's going on, no matter what, if we understand what's going on or we don't understand what's going on, that we would commit to God who knows all things. Thanks for joining us here at our first podcast. Hey, you guys, I want to let you know that we have a men's prayer breakfast coming up on September 15th here at uh, Harvest Orange County and in Riverside. Starts at 8 o'clock, goes to 9.30, and we want to gather together and pray for you and pray for each other and pray for our church and pray for our nation. So I hope you'll make it out and uh, hope to see you at church. So God bless you. This is Pastor Mike signing off. God bless your day.